Well, all right, uh, everybody, thanks for tuning in. This is uh, another one of the AMA series here with, um, in case you didn't just hear it, uh, Nathan Powell <laughs> of DLF. Um, so if anybody has any questions, we're fielding them through the, the Discord chat, um, the Twitch chat as well, um, and we're keeping an eye on it. Um, but I guess to get things started off, Nathan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, a little bit about your background and experience um, in the fantasy realm. Sure. Um, so I'm Nathan Powell. Um, I've been in the fantasy industry in one form or another since around 2013. Um, started as a, a writer for Fantasy Football slash Dynasty Football Warehouse, um, you know, now a defunct site. Um, but mostly over the last few years, I've been with Rotoviz on the Dynasty Tradecast on the Rotoviz Radio. And DLF I've been with as a writer uh, pretty much since probably like 2015, 2016. So I've been around the fantasy block a few times. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, you know, done a lot of different uh, commission type work, whether it be through, uh, you know, written or video work that I've started a new series with. Um, and a lot of my like, you know, content outside of the commission space is usually like talking about values, what they're talking about trading, things like that. Cool. Um, to, uh, to get things kind of going, um, uh, one of our users, Solar, uh, wants to know, what's your earliest fantasy football memory and uh, maybe what kind of set off that spark for you? So um, my my dad uh, had a team. It was when I was first starting into football, probably like 11, 12 years old. And um, my dad had Tony Gonzalez on his fantasy team. And uh, basically at, at that, that point, like I was like giving my dad – because I – I was a very early, like, you know, sports trivia, sports, you know, just very into sports at a young age. And so I was like, oh, dad, you got to pick up Tony Gonzalez in this round, yada, yada. And, like, I just remember, like, this was this was when when Gonzalez was still with the Chiefs. And I was like, all right, like, pick Gonzalez. And, you know, he had one of his be better, better – obviously, Gonzalez had many great years. But he had one of his better years. And, like, so my earliest memory from me not playing was actually my dad playing and watching Tony Gonzalez score a bunch of touchdowns. My earliest personal memory of fantasy football – is my first year playing fantasy football. I drafted Sean Alexander in the first round. It was the year after he had the record-breaking season and he got hurt. So, Naturally. Um, but yeah, my, my, my first fantasy pick did not start off hot. <laughs> <laughs> I think mine first overall was like Chris Henry after his 2K year, which was like slightly down, but um, slightly better luck than that one. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, of course. And to follow up on that, Solar wants to know, um, what does the structure of, like, the most fun Dynasty League look like to you? So th this has a number of different answers. Um, those that have been following my content over the last few years, I have, I have a, a series of leagues called the League with No Name. And th these leagues focus around the concept of drafting players based on college conferences and drafting players based on NFL divisions. And so I, you know, it, basically, if you have the NFC South, you can bid on Chris Godwin, you can bid on Mike Evans, th th that type of thing. Or if you have the SEC, you can bid on Sony Michelle or Todd Gurley. And so I've built those leagues, you know, from the ground up. I, I invented the concept, I think. Um, and I, those are my most fun leagues personally. But I don't think that it's because of the, you know, bidding on a specific player. The fun part about the format is anytime you can get multiple drafts, multiple auctions in a league, the more that you can get, the more fun a league is. And so if you can have a free agent auction, a rookie auction, a Debbie auction, or, you know, 
the more different types of auctions or drafts you can do, that's the more fun it is, the more active your offseason is. Like, ideally, if you can have three, four, you know, on, uh, months of drafts or auctions, like you have March through, like, June covered of you're doing a draft or an auction every every month. Definitely. And when it comes to uh, um, starting off some of the leagues, uh, user Alb wants to know, do you have any, like, rookie draft rules uh, that you follow? If you could only be guided by one thing, um, either on film or analytics, um, for incoming rookies, what would that be? And try to only choose one. Basically, like, where should somebody – what do you think is the most important thing to look at for rookies? Yeah, uh, I mean, if we're talking about just a strict film versus analytics, I'm more of an analytics guy. I host a podcast on Rotoviz Radio, um, which is an analytics-based website. We've been talking a lot about the Rotoviz apps recently on the podcast. But also, I don't watch tape. Um, like, the, my tape watching is like watching college football on a Saturday. Like, I don't go to, you know, what used to be like a draftbreakdown.com and, you know, analyze uh, Rondale Moore tape. Um, I basically I, I use what i what i see in a box score plus you know the occasional watching games or highlights um so i'm not that the type to break it down mo- mostly because i don't think i'm good at it like i i don't think i can sit down and watch wide receiver tape and decipher okay this is a good wide receiver this is a bad wide receiver what i will do and i i know you said not to do this but like what i will do is <laughs> i will listen to the the film takes of people who I do trust to watch in their film watching, but even then, I'm still more so leaning towards the analytics. And the analytics, at the end of the day, do more so calibrate differently. When it comes to rookie drafts and rookie auctions that are after the NFL draft, the number one form of analytics is draft capital. Like, you might say, you know, that's a form of, you know, film because the NFL teams use film, but the number one thing I use for any sort of rookie draft or or rookie auction is draft capital, and I would consider that more of a analytic. But if you're t- not talking about draft capital, even then, I'm still using the analytics over the over the film. Totally. Um, one of our users, Diablogato, uh, kind of says in S, um, I tend to lean more towards podcasts than following YouTube channels. Um, what's your elevator pitch as the video content creator at DLF to get me to switch? So. I also have had similar problems uh, with this in the past. I, like I talked about um, before the show with Russell Clay. Russell Clay and I had a YouTube pod, like because we could honestly, we, we were too dumb to figure out how to how to make a, a podcast on the Apple Podcast. We had a podcast called the Dynasty Dudes on YouTube, and it was just on YouTube. It you know didn't get it probably got like three four hundred views a, a week, um, but essentially our podcast was in video form. And I always said, okay, it's just so much more convenient to do the audio form. Now, I am trying to build somewhat of a brand over at DLF with my commissioner series, the DLF Commissioner Chronicles. And I think that's a space where, you know, the the video can be helpful. So, like, in, in one of the episodes, I break down bylaws. And so I shared my screen, and basically I, I walked the audience through how I write bylaws. And so not every single episode of a, of a video, you know, element isn't that yet that video element is needed but it's certainly something helpful that can help you portray a point um one kind of comparison i would say is that so i like the the communication app voxer because voxer has a walkie-talkie element and it's so much easier to to communicate something uh vocally rather than written like in a slack channel and i think that it's a similar thing with the video where you can sometimes illustrate something better 
through video than you can just with normal audio. I, I think that the one disadvantage you have with the video format is that I would say a large percentage, like like the guy who asked the question, large percent of people who are consuming fantasy content are doing so in the car on their way to work, on their way to the grocery store. And obviously doing that on YouTube is not exactly, you know, the, the time you would do that. So I, I certainly, you know, p- people who like my content, who like commissioner content, I always uh, tell them, hey, like, you know, pop on your Roku, pop on your smart TV and watch the, watch it on, on, you know, watch it on your TV. And it's basically just, you know, another form of a TV show. So I... I understand the hesitancy to get in the video platform because it, it takes a little bit more effort, but I think it can be worth it at, at times. Totally. Um, getting into kind of the more nuts and bolts of actually your approach to your dynasty teams, um, Diablo wanted to follow up on, uh, from a team building perspective, how do you normally prefer to construct a roster? Are you the tear it down when it's time to rebuild type, or do you prefer to stay in contention perpetually with savvy trades and drafting? No, I I am never the middleman. Uh, I am constantly either like basically my goal every year is. I mean, some people say I want to be a playoff team or I want to be bottom. I'll, I take it a step further and say that I want to be contending for a buy, meaning I want to be a, a top three seed, or I want to be you know building for the, the following year even if it's not a complete rebuild where i'm like okay i'm two to three years away like if it, so so infrequently are those four to six seeds uh, even three to six seeds are they winning championships that buy is so crucial because fantasy playoffs are so much luck and obviously if you have a league that decreases the luck factor with with different settings then you can take a little bit of a, a different stance but with the luck factor of fantasy playoffs I try to just go to that the playoffs with the best possible roster, that you know top seed. And if I can't get that, then I'm trying to become that top two seed in the following year by you know trading for assets that can help help, help make my team better for the following year rather than the current year. Do you have like a um, do you have like a cutoff point in the season when you kind of make that decision and get the ball rolling either way? Um, no, I I think you definitely have to play it by ear with like. If, if your team is experiencing injuries, like you can be a four or five seed and then lose your QB one and like, oh, well, now I'm, I'm a fake four or five seed because I'm not going to have my you know top quarterback entering the playoffs. Um, so it honestly less so standings and more so how my players are playing, how, how the guys in my lineup are playing will influence that decision. So like if I'm in the middle of the pack and my guys are, you know, starting to get some more opportunity than I, were, I was expecting, then I might trade for a piece. If I in the in the little pack and you know my RB one just lost their job to a rookie, then I'm like, all right, my, my time to try and pack this in for next year. Gotcha. Um, Adam's uh, Adam Steelers fan wants to know what are your thoughts on tanking year one as a strategy? Is there value gained by being the first to rebuild? So there, there's two there's two very different things here. There's tanking, which is illegal in most leagues. Tanking is actively submitting not the best lineup so tanking is starting tom savage over drew Brees. that is literally written into my bylaws uh from five six years ago when tom savage was in the league that if you start (laughs) tom savage over drew Brees, that's tanking you know basically uh, purposely putting a player that's worse in your lineup over a different player um what some people consider tanking which i don't is you know uh, ryan mcdowell you know coined the term the productive struggle where the productive struggle is basically you are trying to make your team better for the year 
the year after and beyond. You're not worried about what you're doing, what how many points you're scoring in the current year. And so in, in the startup, I am never really trying to win in year one. Not because I don't like winning, but because in year one, it's the time that you have to kind of go win now to have the best shot. Because there's going to be a team or two, depending, obviously depends on your league, but there's going to be a team or two that goes for it. They trade their future picks. They, you know, load up on, on top-end talent. They trade their middle-round picks. And if you're not that guy, you're at a disadvantage. And so what I prefer to do in the startup realm is I, you know, punt or productive struggle in year one, and I am, you know, trying to build towards year two and beyond and not worrying about, about points in year one. Um, and if I am trying to worry about points in year one, I'm investing low-type assets. So, like, I'm trying to get guys like Frank Gore who might put up some points for me. Guys that are very cheap but are going to score points, obviously, depending on what year it is with Frank Gore. But <laughs> basically, in, in, in rounds like 15 to 21, there are going to be guys that score fantasy points but have no dynasty value. And so if you're going to try and score points in year one, that's where I'm going to be trying to buy my points is in the later rounds. Because in the early rounds, if you're trying to buy points – I think you're oftentimes sacrificing value for the, for the future years because you're, you know, adding the, the veteran wide receiver over, you know, the younger guy. Totally. And um, kind of more on the the, weed, the league-wide spectrum, um, user Ghost of June wants to know, what's the number one league improvement idea you've witnessed that you would suggest to every league, specifically one you expect most leagues don't have? So I, I talked about the randomness of the fantasy playoffs and the number one when i started commissioning i like six seven years ago now the first rule i put in and i haven't changed it in any of my leagues since um and it can actually kind of debate how much this fixes the problem but i i don't like it when let's say you're the one seed and you you know you earn that one seed and you you know go into the the week before the championship and you score the second most amount of points, but the fourth seed just happened to end up scoring the most points and you lose despite having the second best score out of the four remaining teams. And so my, all, all the playoffs in all my leagues are top half advance each week. So in, in a typical 12 team league with six playoff teams, you have the two teams that get a buy. So three through six all compete top two teams advance. Then you have the top two seeds and the two advancing teams, top two seeds advance. Um, so that that's the one that I have in all my leagues. And the other one that I have been adapting in recent years is trying to lengthen the amount. And this might change with um, the NFL now going to a week 18, possibly week 19 with, you know, 17 games, maybe two bye weeks. Um, we're still trying to figure that out from a commissioning point. But number one thing, no head-to-head in the playoffs. But also I have been doing – so, for example – the four teams that play in the, the round before the championship, they play top two teams advance, and then their scores carry over into the championship. So if Tom scores 100 and John scores 99, then Tom has a one-point lead entering the entering the championship because he scored one more point the previous week. So it's it's a way of a lot of people like to do you know two weeks of a championship, and there's a way to do that without you know shortening your playoffs or shortening your regular season. You just carry over the score from the previous matchup. It doesn't have to be the direct head-to-head matchup. That makes sense. Um, User Maniac wants to know, after this unique season that we just had, uh, what are some lessons or advice that you learned for fantasy purposes? 
Um, any pleasant or unpleasant surprises from the, the league going through what it had to go through? Um, I mean, I, I would say that it's not something that I... It's not, it wasn't unexpected, but it, it spoke to, as a commissioner, it's so important to have flexible league mates um, or understanding league mates based on a decision that you make because there were so many commissioners um, who chose to offer different alternatives with the, you know, teams that had delayed games like, oh, like, you know, the Patriots are playing on Tuesday, so just in case they don't play, you know, file in a backup or whatever it may be. And I commissioned you know, seven, eight leagues. And I chose, I, I basically said, I don't have the time to do backups for every single team in every single, single league. So I'm just going to say you play them. If they, if they play great, if they don't play, then you, you don't have those points for the week. Um, and so that's up to every different commissioner. You know, some, some commissioners are willing to put that time in, but the, you asked for the lesson. And the lesson is that when you have flexible league mates, it makes the league better, whether you're the commissioner or in the league, like, it's not fun to be in a league where someone in, in the group chat's like blowing up like, oh, this league's unfair, this thing's going wrong, the commissioner isn't doing their job. Whether, you, whether you're the commissioner or a league mate, that's not a fun thing to be a part of. And I, I think that it's just so important as a league mate to understand, yes, there might be you know some leagues with bigger pots and things like that, but at the end of the day, it's a game. Most of us are playing this just for fun. And you know take decisions that the commissioner makes or the league makes as a whole and you know just try to make the best of them and you know the nfl made the be best of the situation they had and for the most part people in my leagues made the best situation of w what we had in terms of dealing with covid and stuff absolutely yeah you kind of want everybody to be on like the same level of investment and, and energy um and on, on that level uh our user solar asked um what tips do you have for replacing owners in your league um, and then a couple of follow-up questions, but I, I think that's a good enough uh, standalone right there. Well, um, for those that were in the, the Discord chat, um, you, you, you saw my number one. Um, I have a league that I, I co-commission. Basically, I'm helping a buddy out, and I'm, we're still trying to fill uh, fill a, a spot, you know, heading into the 2021 season. And for me, that's very unlike me um, because, num number one, the number one way to ensure that you fill spots in, in orphans is be the first to the party. Um, I have what I call commissionists. Uh, commissionists <laughs> is the day at the day after week 16. So the Tuesday after week 16, I pay everyone their their buy-in uh, and and keep the you know the future buy-in for the following year for the people who are staying in the league. People who aren't staying in the league, I don't. I give either give them money or they didn't earn money through the payouts. Um, but so the number one thing is being early to the party. I I tweet. I tweet out my openings. Uh, I well, first because I'm because I'm doing the payouts and everything so quickly. I'm finding out. I'm, I'm saying, telling everyone, hey, let me know if you're coming back for next year. Let me know if you're coming back for next year. And I basically require that response to be within a week. I give them a week, and if I don't hear back from them, see ya. I've really out of that system of I need to hear it from a week or see ya. I've had like two people come back a week later and be like, hey, you replaced me. I'm like, yeah, I didn't hear from you for a week. Um, but so that goes into show like trying to be the first of the party, trying to get your openings out there as soon as possible. So find out who's leaving and then tweet out your openings. Use use Discords, use Voxer, use Slack. Use every form of communication service you have to get to fantasy owners. Um, other popular forms are like message boards with push, with football guys or DLF or Rotoviz. Tons of uh, great uh, ways to um, you know fill league openings there. So in terms of, obviously, the 
best way to fill a league opening is to like be able to DM a buddy and say, hey, you want to join this league? But unfortunately, a lot of our buddies are in 14 leagues and don't want to add a 15th. And so a lot of times it's just success by volume. You're, you're, getting, you're getting the opening to as many people as possible and hoping one bites. Like, because it's not like you – if you have two openings, you need two people. You don't need like eight people to say yes to the two openings. So just try and get, get it in front of as many people as possible and try and get it as early as possible because by March, a lot of people are like, oh, I already took on three orphans since January. And if I'm the first of the party and I'm the first one who posts league openings on January 2nd, they can't say I've already joined three orphans. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Have you ever had to um, – that's more of like an end of the season um, thing. Have you ever encountered a situation where um, maybe somebody's a little more hot and cold like in the middle of the season where you've maybe had to um, kind of lay down the law or, or navigate the, the sort of politics of that at all? Uh, not really. I mean, I've had some some guys that ghost, like like who just not ghost a fantasy writer. Like some people who disappear, um, and I just never hear from them again. That's happened a couple of times, and I just end up having to replace them. In that case, I will usually text a buddy like Russell or Dan, uh, Russell Clay or Dan Sanyo. I'll say, hey, can you help me out with this team for the rest of the year? Like, it's no money. You're not going to win because the, the team's in last place or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of like. You know, I, I feel like you're trying to uh, lure like a, a boot or something like that. I have only ever uh, had to like, you know, boot two guys uh, in my history of coaching hundreds of people, uh, and one of them called me a white supremacist, and uh, one of them uh, basically like went nuts in the group chat. So outside of white supremacy and craziness in the group chat, uh, I haven't had to boot anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to hear. <laughs> um... On, on the level of um, conquering by numbers, how many leagues are you in, and uh, what advice would you give to somebody for managing a large number of them? So I am in, let's call it 16 leagues, but about six of them are best ball um, with limited or no, tr no transactions throughout the uh, season. Um, so... You know, the, the best way, my best advice for, hey, I want to play in as much nice as possible, but I don't want to get overwhelmed, best ball. Um, whether it's best ball with, you know, trades in season, best ball with no waivers. But, well, best ball with no waivers, definitely. Um, but basically, best ball with no waivers. And um, But in terms of, okay, I, that's not good advice. I, I already have 14 lineup leagues. Then the number one advice I, I, I would have is that don't treat your teams like, individuals so i treat your portfolio as it were as okay i have this many shares of this guy this many shares of this guy um and don't don't pursue it as like okay this this team needs this it's like oh if i want curtis samuel after signing with washington like let's go and try and find the, the cheapest way to, to buy curtis samuel that type of thing um but in terms of like managing it in season i have uh, bookmarks on my on my computer and i just go through the list al alphabetically um, I, I will recommend that the e it's, it makes your life slightly easier if you're only on one platform. I'm, and I know this will come up in future questions, but I'm only on myfantasyleague.com as far as my, my league platforms. Um, I do some draft day consultant stuff with ESPN and Yahoo, but that's me helping others do their leagues, basically. Um, but in terms of my own leagues, I only do my fantasy league. 
and it helps with navigating it because I just go down my list of my fantasy leagues and cover them all, whether it's waivers, lineups, things like that. And um, one suggestion I will make is that 444 um, has a league sync app that basically what it does for you is that it'll show you, um, it, it connects with Yahoo, ESPN, uh, MFL, Sleeper, all, on pretty much every uh, league management that I've seen. Um, the 444 league sync um, it basically what it does is it shows you your current lineup and then it shows you which lineup you should be submitting based on 4-4 projections. I basically, and I, I, we talked about how I, I know my faults and I'm not really great at tape. I'm not the best start sick guy either. I know that 4-4 and their rich history of projections is much better than my rich hist- my lack of rich history in projections. So 90, 90 times out of 100, I'm just looking at what 4-4 tells me to submit and I submit. And so if you're, if you're looking at ease of doing things like i would highly recommend using the 444 league sync which you can use on all tor- all sorts of platforms and that'll spit out which lineup you should do every week obviously you can you know change that as as you want as well but i think that that's one thing that has expedited my process whereas before that i would used to be like okay like should i you know look okay how's this guy doing in practice this this and this and obviously the later that you submit the lineup the more accurate it'll be based on you know you know injuries and all, all those type of things Totally. Uh, mentioning MFL seems to have uh, been a little controversial in the chat. <laughs> um, oh but but uh, it's all good. Um, you mentioned best ball. Um, and on that topic, we, we had a couple of people asking about that. Um, so we had Sam and Diablo Gatto both kind of um, pitching in. Well, Diablo was wondering, um, uh, are Solar a uh, pretty prominent user on our server is a pretty smart dude, and he swears by best ball. Uh, but man, I just can't get into it like I do normal lineup leagues. Uh, what about it do you like most? Is it just the fact that you can have more rosters without the higher time investment? It's that, but also the one, the one way I compare it is that uh, lineup leagues, you are rewarding the best lineup. Best ball leagues, you're rewarding the best team. And I, I value dynasty team building. Uh, it's, you know, one of the things that I, you know, enjoy most about, you know, playing dynasty is, is building that team. And so I am, I never like bored of like, Oh, like, do I really need a wide receiver six? Like in best ball, you always need a wide receiver six. Or do I need, really need an RB four? You always need an RB four. And so, but in terms of like not getting into it, I've, I've heard similar complaints on that as well. And, I, I think the number one thing is that best ball, in, unless you are very, you know, detracted from fantasy and you're really just playing it as a hobby and you don't care about football that much, like, I I use my best ball leagues as a way to, like, I don't, for the most part, I don't care about my best ball leagues during the season. Like, I'll check the standings, you know, every couple of weeks to see how I'm doing, especially in the ones that allow trades in season. But for, for the most part, I just use those as, like, I'm checking on how's my team building, how's my team going. Whereas in a lineup league, that's a, you know, every week commitment where you're doing waivers, you're doing lineups, you're doing trades. And so the reason why you aren't as invested in your best ball league, it's because you don't have to. So you, some people will use that as a detractor, like, oh, I I just can't get into it. I'll say, like, you don't really have to. Like you, you can play it and just be fine with it and not like be addicted to it and say, Oh, I've got to check this team every day, every other day. Like, it's like you, it, there is very much, and some people will say this a negative and I'm sure it is for some people, but you can have kind of a hands-off approach in best ball. 
because it isn't it doesn't require the week to week management of a lineup league. Totally. Um, to follow up on that, uh, Sam was wondering, um, what is your go to uh, best ball team building strategy? So my my, my go to dynasty best ball team building strategy it's similar i mean it's similar to my normal one but it's just comp compounded by the fact that it's best ball so um in, in superflex the two positions i value the most are quarterback and wide receiver and in one qb it's pretty much all wide receiver all the time and what i will do is i'll build a stack of wide receivers to where i'm getting you know 16 17 18 points a week from my wide receiver three and four and you know Putting together, you know, several RB2s, RB3s, you know, guys like a Kareem Hunt or a Chris Carson or, you know, guys like that. And one of those guys is going to hit each week. And so you there is a lower floor when you, you know, load up at one position or two positions in Superflex. But the ceiling is so much higher because you have all this depth that can increase your weekly ceiling. Uh, totally. Um, shifting gears a little bit to the Debbie side of things, um, Diablo is wondering, um, from a Debbie perspective, it frequently seems like I hear an absurdly high number of players get called surefire studs, locks, or guaranteed studs. Uh, how do you avoid the landmines in Dynasty and maximize drafting players that will succeed at the NFL level? So if you are drafting Debbie players saying that they're a surefire stud, you're likely going to be wrong a lot. Um, I, I do my Debbie drafting with a range of outcomes and understand the error that is in within that range of outcomes. I am very much a high volume Debbie guy. Like I'll take two second round guys over one late first guy, or I'll take three third round guys over one late first guy. Like I'm strength in numbers. I will try and hit on one of those lower guys, whether it's you know a, a young freshman that's a five star or a guy that just isn't being as valued highly that's a freshman because there's juniors and seniors available. Um, so I often take the riskier approach of going with lower, you know, I, I invest lower amounts of, of, you know, capital into my, my Debbie assets because, because it does hurt so much when that top end guy busts. So I'm not often going to be, gonna be the guy that, that rosters a Trevor Lawrence because the, the floor on Trevor Lawrence prior to this year was so low and, it, and so I try to avoid that. You know, we, we saw it from guys like Christian Hackenberg and things like that. But basically, I, I draft with a floor that basically I'm, when I'm not investing too much in those lower-end guys, when one of them hits, it pays off for the, the two that don't. Whereas if you are drafting high-end Devi assets or paying for high-end Devi assets and one of them busts and, and you didn't, you know, low, uh, you know, protect yourself with those any lower end guys because you didn't have enough assets to to do so then you are putting your eggs more in one basket whereas in devi i'm trying to get as many different eggs in different baskets as possible possible which may lower my ceiling a little bit but it does raise my floor yeah um in building off of that uh one of our users sam wants to know um which Debbie players do you currently have the highest ownership uh, of across your leagues? And to go in tandem with that, our user Cheech wants to know, who's your favorite Debbie running back who no one is talking about? Okay. So um, my most owned Debbie players, uh, most, if 
yeah, mo most of my Debbie leagues are super flex. And so I do invest at the quarterback position be because I, I guess I, I did just say that I, I invest in higher floor. Qu quarterbacks do have very low floors in Devi. Um, they go from, you know, top end guys to uh, nothing very quickly or into the NFL also. Um, but s some of my current uh, most high owned guys are I have Jaden Daniels from Arizona State, who I invested in a lot last year after an impressive freshman season. He was OK in a limited Pac-12 season this year. Um, DJ Ugolele. Um, he's the guy who is taking over for Trevor Lawrence. He's a guy that I got for free, you know, cheap because he was an incoming freshman. He didn't have much shot at playing in year one, and he was a five-star guy. So that's the type of asset that I'm looking for when I'm trying to get a cheap guy. And as far as a Debbie running back, um, I'm, I'm not sure if he's low end, but I mean, he's, he isn't low end. I'm trying, uh, if, if I think of a low end guy, I'll think about it a little bit later, but Kyron Williams is probably a guy who isn't at the top of many radars, and he, he's the Notre Dame running back, and I think that he definitely has legit RB1 over RB1 upside in the 2022 draft. Nice, and uh, <laughs> Diablo uh, followed up his um, tirade of uh, Debbie questions, wanting to know if you heard about our Lord and Savior, Arch Manning, and what what has been the youngest player you've ever drafted? Um, and if you stay away from uh, incoming freshmen or not. So uh, it, it depends on what kind of assets I have. Um, I will invest in some five-star freshmen if they're falling to, you know, that tier of like 24 to 36 overall type Debbies in a, a draft or in an auction. That's when I'm targeting a Jackson Smith in, in Jigba or a DJ Ugalele or guys like that. Um, what did you say right before the freshman? Sorry. <laughs> uh, he was wondering if you heard about our Lord and Savior Arch Manning. <laughs> oh, yes, Arch Manning. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, I, I have never played in a league that allows you to draft a college player. I mean, draft a player before their before they enter college like the earliest i've ever been able to select a player is the summer that they're about to enroll in school um so i won't be able to take arch manning for i think three or four years in any of my <laughs> debbie leagues um but uh i i do think that he will be one of the most fascinating debbie debbie things ever because if he continues you know he's you know from all intents and purposes like usually when you when you have these like young guys that are you know uh, kids of, of superstars like we heard about you know michael jordan's kids as they were growing up and they weren't any good at basketball and but it seems and i know arch manning isn't peyton manning's son in, in the manning tree um arch manning seems like he's one of the better i mean arch manning i guess lebron james jr is the other guy who uh, right now is kind of living up to um you know the the family name and so i, I think that at this rate, you know, people are already excited about Arch Manning. He's going to be a, a top guy the, the minute he's available in my type of leagues where you can't draft until they're about to be an incoming freshman. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and uh, final point really on the uh, on the Debbie side of things for now um, is Solar wants to know, is it possible to go zero Debbie long-term and succeed? Yes and no. I, I think that a lot of the people who try to go zero Devi don't value their Devi assets correctly. Like, you can go zero rookie 
and and succeed and you can also go zero devi and succeed but you have to extract as much value as possible and the problem is when you become known as the zero devi guy like i'm never going to the zero devi guy and saying i'll pay you 100 percent of market value for your devi picks because I, I know i know for a fact that i can get 90 percent or 88 percent like and you gain that if you gain that reputation of the zero devi guy then it's going to be so much harder for you to deal your assets at 100 percent market value so it's possible, but you kind of have to do it without gaining that reputation in order to be able to successfully deal the assets at 100% market value or, you know, even more than 100%. Nice. Um, well, moving on more to uh, the current NFL landscape, um, <laughs> user Alb wants to know how glad uh, from a, on a scale of 1 to 10, actually 0 to 10, are you that you didn't blow uh, 108 plus on AJ Dillon. So I was trying to think back if I was in a conversation to buy AJ Dillon for 108. I don't think I was, so I'm guessing this is a uh, situation that he went, <laughs> that he paid 108 <laughs> plus for AJ Dillon. Um, and uh, I mean, I'd, I'd be pretty glad that I didn't, I mean, I would be 10 glad that I didn't do that. Um, but I still like AJ Dillon. Like I, I liked him as a prospect. I, I'm, I'm a draft capital guy and he was, pre he was being drafted after some guys who went ahead of him and he was being drafted after some guys who went behind him in the NFL draft. Therefore, I was investing in some A.J. Dillon. I have A.J. Dillon shares. And I didn't trade any just in case there was the value bump of Aaron Jones walking. So I'm maybe a bit regretful I didn't trade my A.J. Dillon for 108+. plus, But I, I still think he's okay. Like, I don't think that he's dead and buried as some people might think. I, I think that he is now the ideal zero RB candidate that if Aaron Jones gets injured... AJ Dillon is, you know, a top twenty-four running back. If AJ, if Aaron Jones stays healthy, AJ Dillon is probably, you know, just a guy who's like an RB four. And on that note, um, Adam wants to know who right now are your current biggest winners and losers from the early part of free agency. Who, who what players' stock has gone up the most, and who's uh, who's lost um, the most so far? So. It's, it's not really a dynasty value thing, but I love Ryan Fitzpatrick to Washington. And, and in turn, I also love Curtis Samuel to Washington. That happened tonight. I, I think that you know, what that Washington offense was missing last year was a guy who could throw it deep, was a guy who, who could make plays. And that's Fitzpatrick. Like He'll make plays. He'll make mistakes. But he will take advantage of having Fitzpatrick and Logan Thomas and Curtis Samuel and Antonio Gibson. He will use those you know, those assets in ways that Alex Smith and T Taylor Heineke and Dwayne Haskins couldn't. So not really a dynasty answer there. Um, but one of the guys who I think is a little bit of a loser so far is LaVisca Chenault um, because the Jaguars brought in Philip Dorsett. They brought in uh, Marvin Jones and they, they were even rumored in the Curtis Samuel sweepstakes. And so all of that screams to me that they aren't confident in LaVisca being their wide receiver too. Um, I think that he is, you know, I, I like LaVisca. I think he's a very talented player, but I don't see where the usage is going to be coming from in an offense that has DJ Chark and Marvin Jones now and James Robinson and likely a tight end invested in the draft. So it's not like I'm not selling all my LaVisca, but my expectations are dampened to where they were a few days ago. Totally. Um, we, we have a question on Twitch here. Um, do you have any, um, 
Do you have any opinions on Patrick Peterson to the Vikings? Um, or or the addition um, of uh, Hassan Reddick to the Panthers at all? Um, it, if I gave a take, it would be completely uh, disingenuous. Um, I, back when I used to play Madden, I would uh, I would sim the defense because I don't care about defense. Um, <laughs> I've never played in an, I've never played in an IDP league because I don't care to you know invest the time needed to know if Patrick Peterson is a good IDP asset or even a good NFL player. Obviously, I, I know that at one point Patrick Peterson was good. I don't know if he's good anymore. Like, I, I saw one of my Cardinals Cardinals fans, friends on my Twitter timeline saying, woof, Peterson's not worth $10 million anymore. And then I saw a Vikings fan, like, doing a happy dance that got Patrick Peterson. So I don't know anything about the skill set of uh, defensive players. All, all I do know is that um, I am very happy as a Buccaneers fan that we somehow got back Levante David and Shaq Barrett. <laughs> Yeah, that, that defense is going to be a beast next year <laughs> again. Um, yeah, on, uh, on the rookie side of things here, um, Ghost of June has two pretty relevant questions um, about the potential pitfalls of, uh, of rookie picks. So he wants to know which of the top 2021 rookies scares you the most at their projected uh, cost. Uh, Devonta Smith is the one who scares me the most of that projected cross. He's currently going in that 105 to 108 range. And he is going to check off my box of draft capital. He's going to be a top 10 overall draft pick. But I just don't see him as the explosive or as the game changer that many people are, are projecting him to be. Um, so I think that he is the biggest red flag. Like, if, if you were to give me a first-round pick randomizer uh, where, hey, you're going to get a first-round rookie pick, I am hoping it doesn't land on whatever pick ends up being Devonta Smith. Um, so that's definitely the guy that I'm not. I'm trying to fade, um, but my draft capital strategy might end up still getting a few shares. Totally. Um, and on the other end of things, is there is there a guy who's maybe not getting as much hype or, or is projected to go a lot uh, a lot later than you think they should? Um, a, a guy who he, he you know. Throughout the offseason, particularly February, March, April, every player has like a day like, oh, this is the day we're going to talk about Pat Fryermuth or, oh, this is the day we're going to talk about Kyle Pitts. One guy who had, who had a day uh, recently was Deami Brown. Uh, Deami Brown's a guy who I invested in in Debbie, and I liked what I, I continue to like what I see um, at, in his junior season with Sam Howell. So he's a guy that I like. Um, some people are saying that, you know, he might be a day three wide receiver guy, a day three uh, draft pick, but I'm going to like him outside of him like falling to a seventh round pick he's a guy who i'm going to be drafting in like the mid second late second of rookie drafts and later if he ends up falling even later in the nfl draft but he's a guy who i, I like talent a lot i liked what i saw as a sophomore even more as a junior so yeah deami brown is, is a guy who i'm i'm all aboard you you look at his highlight tape over the you know the last couple of years he is is routinely burning nfl wide receivers guys that aj terrell and guys like that who are first round second round cornerbacks and Deami Brown's just taking him to school. Nice. Well, on, on the on the note of um, incoming rookies again, we have another question from Twitch by James Jr. HD, um, and he wants to know, where do you think the QBs in the draft will go, and who do you think will be a bust? So I, I think as of now, you know, we all watch, watch the mock drafts. We all read the mock drafts. Lawrence is, is locked in at 101. I still can't believe that 
Wilson is projected 102, but I, I, it seems pretty set in stone that if the Jets don't get Watson, they're going Wilson at 102. Um, to then put Fields, um, the, the the Falcons just restructured contracts to where it's even more difficult to cut him next year. So I don't see them investing in Justin Fields at, at 104. Um, so I'm just trying to go through um, the, the names in my head. One, one sneaky uh, one that probably people aren't expecting is I, I do think Justin Fields could go to Detroit at seven now that they, you know, have gotten rid of Matthew Stafford. Um, but in terms of like where they're going to go in, instead of particular landing spots, I think that there's going to be four quarterbacks in the top 12 picks. I think you have uh, Lawrence at one, Wilson at two, and then Fields in that Fields and Lance in the three to like 12 range. And then you have um, Mac Jones in like the teens to early 20s. Do you think any of those guys uh, are going to be a bust at all? Um, if if one if one of them's a bust, I, I think it's Wilson, just because there's such a lack of you know proof of good play against quality competition, and the you know the comparisons are so high, the expectations are so high, like oh guys, it's a Pat Mahomes type or whatever it may be, and so. When you combined a lack of production long term, you know he, he was a you know late late breakout. So when you combine late breakout with high draft capital, um, that often results in disappointment for me. And so I think Zach Wilson. I'm not screaming bust, 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 but I'm also he's also not a guy like I'm much more likely to invest in Justin Fields, who might go a few picks later, than I am in Zach Wilson, who goes a couple picks higher. And on the on the bust note, um, following up on that. Uh, Ghost of June wants to know who from the 2020 rookie class that hasn't broken out yet do you think is most likely to break out in 2021? So uh, when this question comes up, the the answer is always the, the best time to buy any you know, rookie is the one that had their offseason, a, a, a poor rookie season who was a first-round pick. And obviously there, there's some pitfalls with the strategy, but every year if there's a first-round NFL draft pick who had a poor rookie season, I'm going to try and buy buy them. And that there's no uh, exception to that with Jalen Rager. Um, that wide receiver core in Philly is still wide open. They haven't really been rumored to add anything um, in free agency. So I think it's going to be Rager and maybe a day one or two pick um, at, in the NFL draft. So I, I'm looking to buy Rager right now. Um, you know, I think that he's a guy you can get for a mid mid second, maybe early second if you really have to pay for one. But I think that's a quality ad right now for a guy who people are writing off early. And this might be a bit of narrative street for, the, for those that are familiar with that term. Um, just, you know, trying to create a narrative based on, you know, different facts. But Jalen Rager and Jalen Hurts will have all offseason to train with each other. They've already said they're going to be training with each other in the offseason. And I do think that that is going to play a factor in you know, their, their rapport and, and how, how well they're able to work with each other coming into the next season. Nice. Uh, a lot of people are going to be happy to hear that. We got a lot of Rager truthers or, or maybe, maybe some people who are just desperately clinging on to the, tr uh, to the dream, but Rager's a pretty popular guy around here. Um, but uh, on the other, but, but, but also it's, I'll wrap up with, yeah. with that on, it's not a dream. Like there's plenty of first round, rookie wide receivers who have had poor poor rookie seasons and then turned it around very quickly so got that totally um but on the other on the other end of things for the 2020 um class is there a guy that maybe you think people are a little too high on and uh now's the opportune time to sell 
I think that I think that all of three big three are appropriately priced. Um, the big three of Jefferson, Lamb, and um, I guess Judy. Yeah, that's where I was going with that. Um, but yeah, no. So the the guy that I'd probably be trying to sell right now is Michael Pittman. Um, he didn't have a huge breakout, but I think people and um, Brian Malone, who's a guy who used or who used to do a lot of fantasy content. Um, he's done a lot of research on, you know, players not losing value despite, and I know this kind of contradicts what I just said about Rager, but a lot of times rookies don't lose value despite mediocre rookie seasons, but Rager has lost value. Um, Bill Pittman, mediocre uh, rookie season, and he has not lost value at all. He's gained value. And so I would capitalize on that. And T. Higgins is a guy, I, I love T. Higgins as a talent, um, but if you can get him, in that, like, you, if you can get like a third round startup price tag for Higgins, that's something I would sell for. Um, you know, tr- trying to capitalize on a guy who had a, had a good rookie season, but I don't see as like a wide receiver one type. And on the topic of maybe uh, other end of the spectrum, uh, aging veterans. If you're a contender, there was a lot of discourse, for example, um, today in the Discord about um, if you're a contender and you got a guy at Julio, uh, like Julio Jones. And the price tag, um, would you sell like a Julio Jones type if you were a contender for like uh, the 12th pick of the first round or something like that? Like where do you value kind of those aging veterans that maybe only have like a season or two left of, of production that you kind of know um, the level that they'll produce at? But um, Father Time's obviously beating on the door. Yeah, I, I talk about a lot guys that are guys whose points are worth more than their value, and basically every thirty-plus wide receiver ever, and also other guys like you know Keenan Allen, Robbie Anderson, like guys that just don't end up being you know sexy names in the dynasty sphere. They are always their points are always going to be worth more than their uh, than their value, and that's the same thing with the guy like Julio Jones. Yes, you're going to have if you stick by the philosophy of these guys, you aren't going to ever. Um, you know, get what they're worth in points. You're going to have the occasional AJ Green who just you know flames out and is worth nothing basically. But for Julio in particular, I'll take the points. Um, I'll take the, the risk that he eventually stops producing. But um, I would rather have you know two years of what I see as top 14, top 15 wide receiver production than take a stab at 112, 201, which I see as you know maybe like a 20% chance I get like one wide receiver one year. Definitely. Um, let me move down here. We're kind of at like the more miscellaneous um, side of things here. So um, we had somebody ask, what are some of your other hobbies or interests outside of fantasy football um, where you spend your time? Sorry, say it again? Yeah, any uh, hobbies or interests outside of fantasy football that uh, you spend your time with? Um, so... I, this is not my full-time job. Um, I am a behavior analyst. I work with kids with autism. Um, so uh, I've been in grad school for that for the last couple of years. So basically, uh, every waking moment that I'm not uh, doing fantasy, I am doing my job <laughs> um, <laughs> slash doing grad, grad school work. Um, but yeah, I, I, would, I guess I'll say my other hobby would be I, I love trivia shows, um, any sort of trivia show, whether it's sports or non-sports. I will watch all, all the all the different game shows. They're on ABC. 
Um, that's I guess that would be one of my own like guilty pleasure. Like I watch like you know Card Sharks and Family Feud and Match Game. Like a- every single game show on network television I watch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sucker for those as well. Um, I did I did uh, skip over a couple of questions here um, that I just remembered here. Um, so one of our users, uh, begrudgingly awake, wants to know which of the next three classes, 21, 22, and 23, are you most excited about? This is such a tough question that I, you know, for years, pretty much from like 2013 to I'd say like 2019, I would try and project like, oh, like this class is better than this class and this class is better than this class. We as a whole, the fantasy industry, we as human beings, we are bad at evaluating talent. It's a tough thing to admit, but it's a very difficult thing to project how good a player is going to be, particularly out. And so I don't really ever play the game anymore of like, oh, like this 2022 class is better than 2021 or the 2023 class. That's the real class that I want. What I will do is I will look at the current class and say, okay, like, this spot is where I don't like the value. I don't like the 203 in 2021, so I'm going to try and you know, uh, you know, know, extract some value and put that into future years or extract that value and put it into a veteran. And so I, I try to avoid, honestly, um, grading draft classes even before they're happening um, by, by saying, oh, I, I really want to get in on this 2023 class. And that helps because like, I'm fairly agnostic. Like At all times, I'm trying to acquire future picks. Like There's never a time where I'm like, Oh yeah, this tw- next year's class looks kind of weak. I'm not going to try to acquire a pick. Like, and whether I'm competing, whether I'm a, a, a super team or in the middle or rebuilding, I'm always trying to build the value. And for the most part, I only play in leagues that um, that trade a year out. So right now, 2022 picks are available. Um, gotcha. And but in leagues that are in 2023. Um, I'm still I'm still trying to acquire those picks because the, the closer I mean the further you are away from the draft the cheaper the pick is going to be and so I, I I do try and capitalize on the time discount where, where it exists to where you know I know the pick's going to happen eventually and if I can get it cheaper 18 months in advance that's what I'll do definitely and following up on that um, our user Adam uh, wanted to um, add to that saying we heard a lot of hype for the 2020 class for at least a few years leading up to the draft. Um, and it's turning out to look just as good as promised. Uh, for talking amongst Devi people, 2023 seems to be the next great class. Um, I know that you kind of just said that you don't like looking that far out and predicting, but um, do you, from that perspective, do you agree? And do you think that it's too early for people to be uh, acquiring those picks if they're favorable on that year? Um, I mean, like, like I said, it's not going to hurt to acquire future. Like, the only way it hurts is if everyone in your league who has 2023 picks is saying, wow, this 2023 class is the greatest thing ever, and they're making those picks more expensive than 2022 picks or making those picks more expensive than 2021 picks. That's the only scenario where it's not beneficial to then try and acquire 2023 picks. Um, so I'm, I'm still trying to acquire those in the leagues where I can, but it's not because I, I think that, oh, this I really need to get in on this 2023 class. So... Um, yes, there's definitely some talent that we saw as freshmen, particularly in the running back class. And in the, in the field of Debbie in 2022, it's not looking pretty for, for the running back class. So it looks like we're going to you know, have an off year in 2022 with rookie, with rookie running backs. But in 2023, that will re- be revamped with guys like Tank Bigsby. Nice. Um, 
so shifting gears a little bit, uh, we have a user, Paya, who asked a uh, work question. How are your relationships with other fantasy football entities slash companies? Um, from Twitter, it seems like a pretty close-knit business um, where most get along pretty well. Uh, but we do see the occasional spats between different companies and analysts. Um, what would you say your favorite is outside of your own? And on the other side of things, what is your least favorite? And they added, if the least favorite gets you into trouble, you can skip that part. <laughs> so I, I will say that it is. it was something that was brought up um, a few weeks ago, that the, the fantasy industry is, the on, is one of the only industries you see where you will support the quote-unquote competitor. Like, you don't see Burger King saying, come on down to McDonald's for the best Big Mac in the West. Like, you know, you don't see that that type of advertisement, whereas I will see a Russell Clay who works for uh, Fantasy Guru. I will see a Russell Clay article, and I'll say, oh, that was a really good article. I'm going to share it. And But to answer the overall question, like, I don't – consume a lot of fantasy content personally like most of my fantasy content that i consume is through twitter and so i i am friends with people who i've been talking with on twitter for the last eight nine years um i there are plenty of guys who you know i don't really like their persona on twitter or i don't you know just don't jive with them on a you know you know talking to them level and so i i don't consume their content um but in terms of like some of my favorites um i've mentioned them a few times we got russell clay um, Ryan McDowell over at DLF um, and uh, all the guys over at Fantasy Points and, and, and great, oh, and of course, Evan Silva and um, Rich Rebar. So, yeah, there's so many. Obviously, I'm giving, I'm telling people to follow some of the biggest guys in the industry here. But those are guys that I've all, I've interacted with over the years and guys who I enjoy their content. Um, but yeah, as, as far as, you know, the question of the tight knit community, the, the, the real answer to that is the Scott Fish Bowl and Scott Fish. Scott Fish leads by example and, you know, creates this atmosphere of we're all in this together. We're all, you know, we're all in here to enjoy playing fantasy football. And with Scott Fish, we're all here to help, help kids get toys for Christmas with the, with the uh, you know, Fantasy Cares toys for tots. And so, you know, in terms of why it's close-knit, I think that a lot of it can be credited to Scott Fish. Nice. Um, now, looking uh... – we, we got through most of the questions here that I have pre-written down, so I'm kind of scanning the, the Discord for any new ones that might have popped up. Um, and we have a question here from Electronic, and he wants to know, uh, we went over this to a small degree, but uh, maybe you can elaborate a little bit. He wants to know, where do you win your league? Um, what do you feel is your advantage, and what's your process for getting to that advantage? So th this is interesting because I um, I recently joined a league called Dynasty Day Trading, um, which is commissioned by Dan Myler, and basically it is a league where your trade partner is the the DLF trade analyzer. It's basically a trade calculator, okay. And my edge in in Dynasty is that I feel like I'm ahead of values, not because I'm, I see the breaking news, but I think I'm fairly good at projecting you know, how things are going to go with transactions or with, you know, basically how the season is going to go, um, you know, depth charts and things like that. Like I will analyze depth charts, analyze rumors, analyze all those things and use that to find trade targets and trade sells. And so oftentimes where I'm winning my leagues is a trading for future picks when they're the cheapest and B I am just, tr you know, trying to be one step ahead of everybody else and also not being stagnant, you know, 
So oftentimes, if you just don't touch a dynasty team, and I know that you, I said with the best play, you can be a little bit hands off, but if you aren't making if you aren't making moves, there's guys in the league that are. Um, one good point I think it was brought up by Ryan a few years ago that like with every trade, one team got better, and yes, with every trade, one team probably got worse too. But with one trade, every uh, one team got better, and if you didn't make the trade, therefore, team got better than you. So if it you should be making trades so that you can make your team better and you know, be the guy who's, gain, who's gaining value. I, it, so much talked about, you know, gaining, you know, a penny here, a nickel here, a dime here, and then all that ends up adding up to a large amount of value over time. But the, the, biggest, the biggest way to gain value is to, you know, care less about current production than everybody else because so often that's where the points are. A guy, I mean, the where the value is the, the value is finding guys who um aren't going to score as many points right now but you project to score more points in the future whether it be you know because of a depth chart move or because of because of you know anything going on totally um following up on that uh adam wants to know do you feel that an analytics driven process has any blind spots when it comes to prospect evaluation um, and what do you think analytical people spend too much time on, uh, presumably referring to fantasy football? Yeah. Um, I will say, you know, I, I know I talked about draft capital being an analytic, um, but I think that some of the biggest misses in recent years, guys like Odell, some of the biggest analytic misses, guys like Odell Beckham, um, are guys that, the analytics community didn't like and didn't adjust for after the draft capital was made. And so uh, the biggest thing for if you want to have a good analytics process is to not just write off a guy like, oh, like, you know, his his um, speed score was not good or, oh, his market share wasn't good. Um, and then writing off the fact that he was the fourth overall pick. Um, so basically... I, I think the biggest error I, I see among analytics people is writing guys off because they don't have the you know the best metrics or they don't have this, the height, they don't have the speed, um, but that there are other things they have um, that you know can lead to them being productive. Gotcha. So following up on that with like a more specific question, um, th this is like another guy that's kind of been thrown out of or thrown around in like uh, what do we do with them sort of sense. Uh, but a guy with like high draft capital who's kind of face planted pretty hard is Nikhil Harry. Um, so w when it comes to a guy like him, um, how are you feeling about him? Are, are you buying or are you fully out? No, uh, I mean, he's a guy who he's one of my most highly, uh, you know, owned guys because he was a high draft capital guy. He wasn't being for the most part in especially last year. Um, wasn't being valued, you know, around where his, you know, draft capital, you know, comparisons were, were being taken. Um, and I also talked about buying first-round guys who disappointed as a rookie. That's Nikhil Harry <laughs> to a T. Um, I'm not really active. Maybe I should. It's one of those things that, like, I was buying at, you know, let's, let's say he got drafted at nine, and then I bought him last offseason at four, and now he's at a two, and, like, if I was buying at four, maybe I should be buying at two. Um, so in terms of Nikhil Harry specifically, um, I'm fine buying. It's, it's He's more of a guy that, okay, I'm, I'm trying to put together a trade. Like, oh, how can I 
eke a little bit of extra value. Oh yeah, just throw in a kill Harry, like, and for the most part, like, I'm not expecting anything to to come of it, but it is somewhat of a lotto ticket and hoping for a you know a Devontae Parker type ascension. Totally, I'm a big Corey Davis guy. I'm like the residential Corey Davis guy, so I'm all about keeping the faith. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. We we have a little bit of a um, left field question here from Twitch. Uh, but James Jr. HD said, uh, I'm from the UK, so we're international here. Um, so the whole D1 college system for the small group of us that take American football serious over here uh, is very tough to get into. Um, do you think in the future there is going to be more talent from the UK at all? No. <laughs> I, 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 th I think that... I, I think that most people who aren't in America are spending their talents on basketball and baseball and, of course, soccer. I, I think that the – I actually had a buddy ask me recently, like, hey, should NFL teams be spending assets to, like, scout guys in, in other countries? And I'm like, no. Like, they're better off spending those assets scouting American players because that's where you're going to get successful guys. Yes, maybe, you know, once every six years you're going to get a guy who's from – switzerland who you know makes a roster but look at every great nfl player ever they're all american basically maybe a couple canadians so um no i, I wouldn't be counting on international talent in the nfl anytime soon gotcha um well looking through here it looks like uh we got through just about every question um here i'm just making sure that we didn't miss anything glaring but do you have any um do you have any talking points that maybe weren't asked by the uh by the audience that you kind of wanted to make sure everybody knew or anything like that um no uh th th there is and i guess i'll skirt around this without answering it and then i'll answer it if you say it's okay totally. there's a question that's been asked to me s several times uh and i'm willing to answer it but you haven't asked it yet Oh, okay, honestly, I'm going to lay down the law here to everybody listening, okay? I'm really glad that you asked that, because I will ask it, okay? I just didn't want you to think that I was, you know, coming at you like this. But I am aware, all right? I If, you're, if you want to give the people what they want, I'm happy to ask it. So, um, have you ever pooped your pants? <laughs> No, I, ha I have not. I've, I've never done that. I've come close running back from a, from a pool once, um, but never uh, from butt to pants, no. Okay. Well, hey, there you have it, everybody. Uh, we have it confirmed. <laughs> Nathan Powell has <laughs> never is, pooped his is, pants. Is, is this a common oh, – I mean, I, I mean, I was a kid when I was in diapers. I'm sure I did it several times. But um, – is this a common thing on the Discord that like everyone get at, gets asked that question? Yeah, this is the first time it's been formally asked, but uh, we have quite a few people who spam that in the chat every single AMA, and this time they got uh, particularly aggressive in case uh, you haven't noticed everybody changing their nicknames. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, 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 I just, well, I mean, I, I have no problem answering a question. I was like, well, he hasn't asked yet, so maybe he's just like, you know, ignoring the trolls. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try to strike a good balance with that, but I, I, I'm a, I appreciate that, that you, you came to play. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, I think that's it that, that we have here. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to answer our questions, Nathan. 
Um, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Uh, we have your Twitter up here on the screen, um, but any other projects or anything that you want people to be aware of? Uh, nope, just uh, Dynasty Streetcast on Rotoviz Radio. Get your uh, Rotoviz subscription with uh, RV Radio 2021, 10% off. And uh, the DLF YouTube channel, make sure to subscribe and like that. Um, the DLF Commissioner Chronicles, I basically, it's a roadmap for commissioners, whether it's you're an expert or a beginner. I have all different types of videos different on, on different formats and how to implement them. And it's, it's my baby. I, I, I want it to be more than 86 views um, <laughs> one day. Um, but for now, that's what it is. So go watch it, and maybe it'll have 87 views. Okay, awesome. Well, yeah, everyone make sure that you subscribe to that. Um, keep, keep an eye out on the, the Discord for the next AMA channel questions to go up. Um, and thanks so much once again for joining us, and uh, hope you have a great rest of your night, man. Thank you. Take care.